Well, we've been talking about uh, this idea of a weary world rejoices. And Mark spoke last week. I spoke the week before. We kind of went through and we outlined some of the reasons why the world is weary. And I don't want to do that because by the time we get done, everybody's ready to like just sack out and take a nap and try to recover a little bit. But we are weary for different reasons in the world. And uh, one of the reasons we get weary sometimes, I think, is actually Christmas. I don't know if this is your experience or not, but it could be that Christmas makes you a little bit weary. And that's, you know, understandable, I guess. We call it Christmas vacation and we call it Christmas break, but I'm not sure exactly what we're vacating from, and I'm not exactly sure what the break is. For our house, uh, it was, I think, the 14th when Allie and Zach arrived, and then Lindsay came home on the 15th, and ever since then, we've had a steady stream of people in and out of our house. And uh, my sister and her husband and uh, their son were here last week, and we've got Mandy Wong back visiting with us for a couple of weeks. So hi, Mandy. Just thought I'd embarrass you here this morning. And uh, we haven't seen her for a couple of years. She's been off at Penn State. But it's like, okay, uh, we need to get out of Christmas vacation so that we can actually get a break, because it seems like it's just going so hard here. Um, and that's just how it is sometimes, because Christmas can be tiring. And we may have to go back to work just so that we can get a little bit of a, a recovery going on there. But we've been talking about this idea of weariness, and maybe you're a little bit weary because of Christmas, and maybe it's because of all the parties that you've been going to, whether at work or home or family. And, and I think a lot of people are catching up for missing out last year. And so there's a little bit of weariness that goes on there. But I really want to talk about something bigger than that this morning. In a weariness that's more significant than just the tiredness that we feel at Christmas. Although I think sometimes Christmas actually um, accentuates or points out some of the weariness that we feel. And we felt weariness, you know, we've talked about, Mark and I, you know, how the world's been disrupted here. And we talk about weariness, we talk about Christmas. But I want to talk about a different weariness and maybe that's just the weariness that you feel, and I'm going to use the term soul weariness. We just kind of feel that spiritually, where you're just a little bit worn out, or you're a little bit run down, and, and you're a little bit just like, wow, this is kind of hard. And even when we talk about this idea of faith, faith to me should be this thing that's real exciting and real vibrant, and like, yes. But if we're completely honest, sometimes faith can be like, oh, this is really hard. And this is actually wearing me down as well. And so I want to talk about a, a, something from the story here, the Christmas story, from Matthew chapter 2. I want to go back and, and look at this one last time before we move out of the Christmas season. Matthew chapter 2. I'm assuming I'm doing that, but I'm not sure how. So I'll just do my best uh, not to be staticky uh, this morning. But uh, as you turn in there, just a little bit of a review. Uh, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, just the idea of celebration and how important that is. A lot of times in our lives when we get weary, we're just overwhelmed and we need to pause and we need to stop and reflect on what's good in our lives and we need to celebrate that. God incorporated that even in the creation story when he stopped and said, it is good and every day rejoiced and celebrated. We see that through the Old Testament, through the, through the feast, but we also see that at Christmas, in the Christmas story, how much celebration there actually was. And so I hope that for all of you here in the last couple of weeks, you've taken the opportunity to celebrate, even in all the busy, busyness. Last week, Mark talked about the idea of confidence. And a lot of times when we're weary, we, we uh, are weary because we carry so much weight and so much worry in our lives. 
And we can have confidence in the promises of God, which are evidenced in the Christmas story, but the confidence of God that he's got it, that things are under control, that things are going to work out like he said that they would, and those promises that he's made to us, we can lean into those promises because they will come true. Because if God says it, it is going to be that way. And so we can get some rest and some respite just from that confidence in knowing that God will come through. Well, we get to the third week here, and we're talking about weariness again, but a little bit different here. Spiritual weariness or soul weariness. And I want to talk about this cure or this uh, antidote, if that's a good word, for it. And that's the word curiosity. Curiosity and how that can make a difference in our story. So let's go ahead and read Matthew chapter 2 and see what it has to say for us today. That would be helpful to us. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. So now what do we know about these people? Well, we know a lot about these people. We know that they came on camels, right? Because it's right there in verse number 1. Okay, maybe we don't know that they came on camels. We know that there are three of them. Of course, maybe we don't know that there are three of them. But if there were three, of course, their names were Gaspar, Melchior, and Belthazar. And if you're wondering where that is in the Bible, you're going to have a hard time finding that one as well. So we know all these things about the wise men that are really folklore. Maybe they're accurate, probably not. But we do know a few things about these wise men. Or sometimes they're called magi. What we don't know is actually what wise men or magi were. They were obviously esteemed in their society. They were looked up to. They could have been just the counselors to the royalty. That's why they were called wise men. We see that in, in the book of Daniel, where the king had his counselors who were the wise men, and it could have been people like this. It could have been astronomers, and some people think that that was the case. It could have been like the scientists of the day or the learned ones or kind of the professors, the university people of the day. We do think, actually, that they probably had some type of religious role, and they were probably part of nobility, but they were very much looked up to in society. They were the learned ones. They were the ones that, that were into knowledge and were into learning. And so we know at least that uh, much about them. And what's interesting in this story is even though they're from the east, we're not exactly sure where that is, uh, some people think Persia, which would be modern-day Iran. Some people think it's uh, more like Babylon, which would be modern-day Iraq. But we know that they came from the east. But we know that they were, had studied enough of the world's knowledge or information, or I don't know what word I want there, but they had knowledge of the Jewish religious system. Because when they see a star, they know something about it. So they get to Jerusalem here. In verse number 2, and they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. So here they are, foreigners from Babylon, from, from Persia maybe, and yet they see a star, and when they see that star, they're like, ah, this is the star for the king, the, the king of the Jews, and they come looking for this king. Now, as Mark mentioned last week, Matthew is all about, in his gospel, is all about presenting Jesus as king. We've sung a couple songs this morning about Jesus as the king of kings. And Mark points that out because he wants the Jews to see that this was the coming Messiah. But in this story, and this is something Mark mentioned last week, 
Jesus is presented not as the king of the Jews, but the king of kings, but the king of all. And so even this nobility, this royalty, these, these learned men from other places come to worship this king. And Jesus is indeed the king over all. And how do they get here, though? Or how do they know what's going on? Well, it's actually a star. And a star that they look up and see and say, hmm, I don't think I've ever noticed that before. And the next guy says that, and they're like, yeah, I wonder what this... And they dig in, and they're like, you know what? This has got to be This has got to be about this Messiah that the Jews have talked about. And so they make their way to Jerusalem. And evidently, they start talking there, and it becomes the talk of the town. So when you get to verse number 3... When King Herod heard this, that these wise men had come seeking the king of the Jews, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. And so you can kind of picture the scene here. These wise men, these foreigners show up, and they start asking questions about the king of the Jews and about the star. And I'm sure that the people are like, could it be? Could it really be? Could it be the Messiah? And this was the, the buzz in Jerusalem at that time. But it becomes so much of a buzz that it gets all the way up to Herod, who's the king. And he's kind of the buzz killer. Because it says here that he was disturbed, literally that means that he was shaken. He was so upset by this that it emotionally and physically and everything had him affected. And he got upset, and when King Herod got upset, that was time for everybody to look out. And so the kind of sense it went from excitement to like, "Uh uh-oh, now what's going to happen in this situation? Well, when King Jerusalem heard this, he was disturbed, and Jerusalem was too because they didn't want to tick off King Herod. So uh, when he called together all the chief priests, this is Herod, called together the chief priests and the teachers of the law, the Jewish leaders at that time, he asked them where, and this is interesting, what's the word there? He asked, where is the Messiah to be born? So even Herod picks up on the idea that these kings have come not to worship just anybody, but they've come to worship the Messiah, and it's crazy because he sets about from this point that he's going to destroy the Messiah so that he can reign on his throne. And, and by the way, he only lasts, he doesn't last a whole lot longer past this story in, in his uh, reign. But he calls these guys together, the religious leaders of the Jews, and they answer his question, where's the Messiah to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And they quote from Micah chapter 5, verse number 2. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler. And then they keep going, and they add on something from 2 Samuel chapter 5. And they say this line, who will shepherd my people Israel? So they answer Herod's question, where is he going to be born? And they add a little piece in on the end that he didn't ask for. And it could have been actually a little bit of a dig at Herod here for two different reasons. For first, uh, the first reason is this. By quoting from 2 Samuel chapter 5, he's going ba- they're going back to the reign of David and saying that, yes, the Messiah is going to be coming from the Davidic line. And Herod, by the way, you're not part of that. So, yes, you function as the king here, but it's only because Rome set you up in this role, and you're really not a legitimate king for us here as Jews. Interesting, isn't it? The other thing that they chose to quote there mentions that David, 
or it mentions that he would be the shepherd ruler like David. And this could have been a little bit of a dig too because Herod's method of ruling was anything but shepherding. It was, he was a tyrant. And he, you know, whatever he said, that's what you did. And if it didn't go the way that, that he thought it should, your life might have been in jeopardy. And so it's interesting that they tacked on that little line there to say, yes, he's coming, he's going to be in Bethlehem, and he's going to be the legitimate king who's going to actually reign in the right way. At least a possibility to consider there. So Herod, in verse number 7, called the Magi, the wise men, secretly back together. And he's got his plan in place by this time, what he's going to do. But he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And we know that that was all a big lie. He's just trying to figure out where this child is because he wants to uh, eliminate him, actually execute this child. And when they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And what we don't know about this star, and you could speculate either way, is when they first saw it, they saw the star, this, this must be for this Messiah that we've read about, so we're going to go to Jerusalem. Did they follow the star to Jerusalem? They didn't necessarily have to do that because they already put together who the star was associated with, and Jerusalem was the center of Jewish life and worship, so they could have just gone there seeking answers. Or they may have just followed the star the whole way there. We don't really know, but we do know this, that when they came out of the meeting with Herod, they looked up and, oh, there's that star again. So it kind of makes you think that maybe it gave them enough to get to Jerusalem, but now it's over Bethlehem and over the place where the child was. And so verse number 10 when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And that's interesting to me that they were overjoyed not in seeing the child, but in seeing the star. And the, the joy came even before they got to the child. And it came because what? Because they knew that God was at work in their story. So they came to the house, not to the stable, where they saw the child, not the baby, with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and they worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And that's why we assume that there were three wise men, because there were three gifts. But it could have been two, that would be plural, or it could have been as much as a dozen, who knows exactly. But we think that there may have been three because of that. But what does this story have to do with spiritual weariness? And, and what is really spiritual weariness to start with? And let me just give you some ideas of what it might feel like in your life if you're dealing with spiritual or soul weariness. It's maybe when you're waiting for God to do something and you're just worn down with waiting because you wait and you wait and you wait. Or maybe it's a situation in your life where you are going through all of your spiritual routines and your spiritual practices, but they've really become lifeless and they've become dull and it's almost more like something that I have to do and it becomes more like a duty than a joy. And we get to those places in life and where it just feels dry and empty. And, and that would be spiritual weariness as well. Maybe it's when your prayer life has is, is become nothing more than just a list that you go down and you check it off every single day. Okay, I pray for this and I pray for this and I pray for this. And if you're completely honest, there's not a whole lot of heart that goes into that prayer. 
maybe weariness for you when we talk about spiritual or soul weariness is that you've been really serving and serving in a ministry, but you haven't been seeing much fruit. And it's been frustrating and it's been discouraging and you're like, why am I doing this? Because I don't see any result in what's going on here. Maybe your weariness is because you and your faith really strongly believe in certain ways and then you get together with other people and their faith and it's like they're thinking something totally different and you're like, and it's not really jibing and it's not really connecting and, and you feel out of place and you feel worn down by that. Maybe you're in a situation where you just keep trying to do what's right and every effort it seems like where you try to do what's right, it still doesn't go right for you. And, and we sense this weariness in so many different ways. I, I mean, we feel in church like this pandemic has not been easy on the church. And we feel that even here. And there's so many different ways that we can feel just worn down spiritually. But this story that we read, I think, gives us some ideas of what we can do about this. And to be completely honest, I'm just looking at this more from an, an inspirational standpoint. But how can we get ourselves kind of like re-energized or, or revitalized and, and re-going? Re, re Is that a word? I don't think so. Uh, moving again, what can we learn from this story? So there's six things I want to just look at here, and they all have to do with this idea of curiosity. Because curiosity pushes us into new places. And where we explore new ideas, or we try new things, or we go on new adventures. And that's what I really want to focus on this idea this morning, is what spiritual adventure could you launch today? For the wise men, the spiritual adventure was following a star and going to Jerusalem, eventually to Bethlehem. But for you yourself, what could you experience that's new and fresh in your spiritual life? And when we talk about a new experience, I'm not talking about going out and finding some new doctrine or, or finding some new religion to try or whatever like that. I'm talking about taking your faith and saying, okay, how far has it gone? Can it go the next step further? Or is there something out here that I've heard somebody talk about that, that maybe I like to try? Or, you know what, maybe I'm just not satisfied with the progress that I've made in this area of my spiritual life. I wonder if I can go further. And this is one of the great things about the spiritual life, though, is the fact that, that no matter how far you've come or no matter how much you've experienced, there is always more out there. And we talk about the, the fact that God is infinite. And when we talk about that, we usually attach that to another attribute rather than just its own attribute. And so we say that God is infinite in his love so that when God loves us, his love can never run out. You can never get to the end of God's love. You can never wear it out. It's unconditional. We have all these different words to describe it. But it's never like one day God's like, okay, that's enough. I'm out of love for you. It's always there and it keeps going. Sometimes we talk about the infinity or the infiniteness of God's wisdom. That God knows everything and he always knows the best thing to do and the right thing to do and the wise thing to do. And you can never get to the end of God's wisdom. Sometimes we talk about that in terms of God's power. God is all-powerful. There's nothing that God can't do. And you could keep raising the stakes on the challenge and God is always able to overcome that challenge. And we talk about God's being infinite in those ways. 
But we have a tendency to attach that attribute to another attribute. But this morning, let's just separate that out and look at the fact that God is infinite as its own attribute. That means that you can never get to the end of God. In your experience with God, you can never get to the end of that experience. I think that's why Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, which we're going to look at when we do communion here at the end. He says, I want to know God more. I, I've, I know him up to this level, but I know that there's more out there. And that's pretty remarkable because Paul was like way ahead of where most of us are. And he's like, I just know that there's more out there. And he has this heart craving for more because we have this God who's infinite. And I really honestly believe one of the fascinating things about eternity will be this. That every day, and I guess we're only in one day there, but you get the idea, that constantly we're going to be learning more about God. And every time we learn more about God, we're going to learn that there's still more to learn about God. And for eternity, we're going to be continuing to know and learn more about God, and we're never going to get to the end of God. But we don't have to wait to eternity. In the next life, we can pursue that in this life. And that's the idea this morning for overcoming weariness is when we look at our faith and instead of saying, oh, I'm just kind of bored by this or just kind of worn out by this and this has been so hard and so frustrating or whatever. But to look at this and go, what's here that I still haven't yet experienced? What's here that I still haven't yet pursued? What's, what's there about God that I still don't know that I could experience in that relationship? And that's the idea of the wise men here. As they look up and they see a star and say, huh, we know a little, but there's a whole lot more that we'd like to know. Let's take steps to find out what that is. So let's just look at six ideas here this morning that are pretty simple that may help us as we deal with the weariness in our life. The first thing is this. Reprioritize the spiritual in your life. A lot of times when we're tired with something, what do we do? We try to set it aside. If I'm tired with um, work, well, then I'm going to walk away from work. That makes sense, doesn't it? And if, if I'm tired from this you know, relationship, maybe I need to take a break from this relationship. But in, in the spiritual world, it, it doesn't work that way. And we need to actually, instead of walking away from what makes us tired, is to lean back into it. Because the spiritual is where we are going to get revitalized. And I realize this is counterintuitive, but think about this with me for a minute. When we engage spiritually, we engage with God, and God is the sense of energy and power and life in our story. When we step away from God, we're actually stepping away from the life source. And so sometimes when I'm like, I'm just so weary, I'm not going to read my Bible today. I'm just kind of tired of doing that. And, and I've been praying forever, and I'm just kind of worn out with that, so maybe that's not going to be my thing right now. We separate ourselves from the thing that we need to actually give us life. And what we need to do is need, need to lean back into the thing that makes us weary. Sometimes we hear that even in service and people in the church. Well, you know what, I've been serving in this ministry for, you know, a couple of years or whatever, you know, it's been. And I just need to take a break so that I can kind of catch my breath. It doesn't really work that way. 
And after 30 years of ministry, I, it's more likely when you take a break for a little while that it becomes permanent. And that's just my experience from what people say. Because we separate ourselves from the thing that actually does give us life. I know for a lot of people, one of their favorite verses is Isaiah 40, 31. And what is that? That, that when we're weary, that we lean back into God and God gives us strength. And so if you're sitting there and you're like, I feel a little bit spiritually weary, the answer is not to turn off. The answer is to turn on. And the answer is to lean back into the spiritual. Secondly, we need to look for some stars in our spiritual skies. Here's what I think is interesting about this story. Anybody could have walked outside at night, looked up in the air, and seen those stars, seen that star. Anybody. It wasn't like just three guys had their own little corner on space. It was available to everybody. And even people who weren't Jews walked up looked up in the sky and said, that must mean something. Hmm, I bet it goes here with this prophecy. But I want to take that as a challenge for all of us this morning to walk out into our spiritual world and to look up and to see what star is there that God has put in our sky to say, hey, I've got something new and I've got something fresh and I've got something better for you. What is it? that God's wanting you to see that maybe you haven't noticed up to this point? Where is it that he wants to do something in your life where maybe you haven't been paying that much attention? And so can we pause just for a minute here this morning to think about that? A specific question, what is the star that God's put in your life right now? Maybe that star is a person that, that God's just like laid on your heart and that you need to reach out to, and in the process of that, you're going to experience something spiritually that you've never experienced before. Maybe that star is just the idea of, of making a time for scripture reading and prayer a part of your life on a regular daily basis. And maybe that's the star that you look at your life and say, yeah, that's it. Maybe it's an area of your life where you really feel like God is saying, hey, I want more out of you in this area. You know, maybe it's just your faithfulness to, to what's going on in church, or maybe it's getting in, engaged in, in ministry or participating in a small group. I don't know, but you're like, you know what? And you look at that and go, yeah, that's something that I could engage with more in my life. Maybe it's something like um, just pursuing more spiritual knowledge and understanding. We have that tool out there that, that everybody has access to, and if you don't have access to it, ask us. We'll get you connected. Right Now Media. Right Now Media is filled with all kinds of Bible studies. You don't have to do them just with your small group. You can do them just personally and on your own. They're set up that way. And maybe you're like, you know what? I'd really like to, maybe I'd like to dive into a book of the Bible and learn more about that. And we can go and get you connected with one of those studies. I don't know what your more is. Maybe it's just getting involved with outreach and we keep talking about outreach programs at this and we're doing stuff with internationals and maybe you're like oh that'd be that'd be a great opportunity maybe i should do that maybe it's something we're doing down with new springfield or or with grace of school and you're just looking at it and say you know what i've kind of sat back here on the sideline but there's this star here today and this is where I need to dive in. And maybe it's something in your personal life where there's just a dream or a goal or an ambition that has spiritual overtones to it that you're kind of sat there saying, I don't know if I could pull that off. I don't know if, I, if I'm 
if, if, if I want to make that investment, okay, what is the star in your sky? Because everybody in the world at that time, I think, could have seen that star. But only a handful of people noticed. But I wonder for all of us, if God isn't saying, hey, right here, I've got something for you spiritually. 2022, it could be an incredible experience for you, but you got to look. And you got to follow. And that's where we get to the next point, is how we start to follow. If we're going to follow that star, we've got to leave the familiar for a new place. You got to leave the familiar for a new place. And most of us love the familiar. I'm there. In fact, we, we laugh about that. If I go out to eat to a restaurant I've been to, I'll always get something I like that I've already had. And my wife looks at me and says, you're so boring. You just keep getting the same thing over and over. I'm like, no, no, no. I know it's going to be good. I'm getting that. So that's how I'm put together. Now, my wife is a little bit more adventurous in, uh, in Fortunately, she likes most things, so she usually gets up. There's like, that was really good. But there's that idea of the familiar that's so comfortable, and the idea of the unfamiliar is so hard. But we have to step into that unfamiliar. And so maybe you're looking at your star and saying, yeah, that's my thing. This is what I really feel like God is directing in my life. I'm not quite sure. You need to step out. This past fall, I had an opportunity. It was really unusual. Um, if you recall, back in... Um, Summer, I went to Guyana, but I went with, a, with an organization called Live Global, and they actually do um, training of international pastors. And one of the groups of pastors that they work with is, is in India. And so they asked if I'd be interested in doing training with these pastors. And I was like, sure. Like, it's going to be a little different right now because of COVID. We're going to do this via Zoom. Oh, okay. So it's going to be a little different, too, because I'm thinking India, everybody in India speaks English, right? It's part of the language, part of the background. They're like, these people don't speak English, so you're going to be using a translator. Well, I've never used a translator before, and I've never really tried to teach anything intensive on Zoom. And they're like, oh, there's one other thing here, too, is that they meet from 9.30 to 11.30 in the morning. I'm like, okay, what time is that? And Like U.S. time. They're like, oh, 11.30 p.m. to 1.30 a.m. And I'm signed up. Fortunately, the time changed right before then, so I only taught from 10.30 to uh, 12.30 in the morning. But I sat down there that first day at my computer, and I can't see them to save bandwidth. There's 40 pastors out there. I, to save bandwidth, all I can see is, like, their names there. I can see no faces. All I can see is the translator. And I'm, I'm teaching on something, and I'm using the terms horizontal and vertical. And I finally said to the translator, like, are you having trouble with this? He's like, yeah, we don't have a word for horizontal or, or vertical. I'm like, well, that's great, because this whole study is built around those two words. And I got done that first night, and it's like 1.30 in the morning, and I come to bed, and Kelly's like, well, how'd it go? And I was like, horrible? It was, it was no, it was worse than horrible. It was pathetic. And I'm like, you know what? God's got to be bigger than this, and the Spirit of God and the Word of God's got to be bigger than that. But you know what? I was like, but I'll get better. And so I went back and I reworked those notes. And, you know, by the time that we were done with this, after our, our fourth session, it's like, okay, that went okay. But if you step into the unfamiliar, it's going to feel a little rocky. That's okay. When you go to Jerusalem, maybe they don't all speak your language. I don't know. They probably don't all eat the same food. I don't know. But you put yourself in places of unfamiliarity because that's how we grow. Fourthly here, 
we need to ask some spiritual questions and do some spiritual wondering. Do you ever just look at something and go, I wonder why that is? Or read something in the Bible and think, huh, I'd like to know more about this. Or maybe just set a situation in your life and think, I wonder what God really wants to do in this situation. We get just so much into our routine that we never let anything push us out of that. And regardless, I think sometimes, like, I've got something new here for you. And maybe it's better. But, but we don't ever take that time to stop and ponder and wonder. Fifth, we need to be okay with making some spiritual investment. Now, I don't know how much it cost those wise men to come to Jerusalem. I do know that they left with a whole lot less than what they came with when it came to gold and frankincense and myrrh. And sometimes when we look at what God might have that's new in our lives, we stand back because they're like, oh, that's going to take a little bit of work. That's going to take a little bit of effort. That's going to take some cost. Right? And cost is where we've got to be willing to go, to grow. And so I would say that for us this morning as we look at overcoming weariness, it's like, wow, I might actually have to put that effort in. I may actually go to the unfamiliar. I may actually put some investment in here. And that is expected. But it finally, it finishes with this thought. Focus on experiencing Jesus. No matter how much you know of Jesus, how, how much, what your relationship is with Jesus, what you've learned about Jesus, what you've experienced about Jesus in your life, whatever that is, there's still more for all of us. And that's what the call is to this morning. Now, these wise men had never experienced Jesus at all. And so that was a first experience. And he was a child, so they didn't get the full experience, did they? No. But whatever it is you still haven't, I still haven't, we have never gotten the full experience of who Jesus is. And I think this morning the, the, the message is this. There's still more of me. I invite you to learn. I invite you to get to know me better. Kelly and I are coming up on our 30th anniversary here in June, and uh, that's kind of crazy. Hard to believe we were married when we were really, really, really young. But you know, it's sometimes, uh, in fact, we've, we've experienced this in re-engage, and we do some of the communication exercises, and we get done with the exercise, and we'll look at each other and go, I never knew that about you. I've been living with this woman for almost 30 years, and I'm still learning things. And she's still learning things about me, and that's not surprising. But it's the same thing in this relationship with Jesus. He's like, oh, there's more to learn. There's more to learn. And that's the invitation this morning. So are you weary spiritually? Is your soul worn down? Resist the, the, the urge to just pack it in and park it. It says, say, you know what, I'm going to lean back into this. I'm going to lean back into that star. And if I don't know what that star is, I'm going to say, hey, God, put a star in my sky. And I'm going to pursue it. We're going to ask the, uh, the uh, not the ushers, the worship team to come back forward here. We're going to conclude with communion this morning. And I left my communion down there. But uh, go ahead and get your communion elements out. And we're going to read a passage here this morning. I'm going to come get the.